Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. The Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. And after 22 years, Raymond The Sickest NHL Podcast. It's going to be sick. And welcome to another edition of the Eye Test on the Sick Podcast Network. Jimmy Murphy joining us here and Pierre McGuire joining me here. Uh, Pierre, let's get right into what you saw last night. Uh, one of the greatest en- endings in recent memory in Beanpot history to win a Beanpot uh, and a great name. I'm Get used to this name, people. Uh, you'll be hearing it again, I'm sure, as this college hockey season rolls into tournament time and NCAA tournament time. Garner Wolf Fontaine did this for the Northeastern Huskies. Let's go to it right now. Heading up the ice. Fontaine leaves it there. Tried to drop it for Ritzkovia and he gets it back. Fontaine shoots. He scores! Gunnar Wolf Fontaine in overtime for the second straight Monday. Call it a And Jimmy Madigan woke up with a big grin on his face, didn't he, Pierre Maguire? <laughs> he was texting me early this morning. We spent some time together last night. He had some family and friends down from Montreal and Toronto. Great. Effectively, so we were talking in between periods, and uh, Jimmy and I were texting this morning, and he's usually watching the eye test. So, Jimmy, congratulations. I don't mean I Jimmy Murphy, him. Jimmy Madigan. Congratulations. And uh, – Job well done, and to Coach Keefe and his staff, congratulations to them. Um, they hung tough. I'll tell you one thing. That was a perfect example of why the eye test matters, that game. Because mm-hmm. if you based it on statistics and analytics, BU crushes them. It's not even close. It's not even close. Exactly. But they found a way to hung, hang in there, and they got the win. And uh, Gunnar Will Fontaine's a cool kid. He's from yeah. down in Rhode Island. He went to Lawrence Academy. Uh, I remember when he played there because my son played against him. He was playing on a line with a kid named Sam Colangelo, who was a second-round pick uh, of the Anaheim Ducks. Colangelo started his career at Northeastern, transferred this year to Western Michigan, where he's having, by the way, having an unbelievable year uh, playing for the Broncos out there in in Kalamazoo in Western Michigan. Uh, But Gunnar Fontaine, every time I've watched him play so many prep school games, and his numbers are good, but they're not elite. But the thing about him is he always finds a flair, a way to do something in the dramatic time of the game. I was just going to say know, I watched him once. I, I'm trying to remember if it was against Belmont Hill or against St. Sebastian's. He had a two or three goal game, and it was just – it was phenomenal because the whole game, there was nothing going on. And right. then at the time of the game, boom, he takes off. Yeah. Uh, he was, by the way, in 2020, he was a seventh-round pick of the Nashville Predators. Uh, I don't know if he's going to make the NHL or not, you know, but nonetheless, he is etched. He will, I guarantee you, he will be part of the uh, Beanpot Hall of Fame. I mean, there's no question what he's been able to do. It's it's a phenomenal story. I mean, good yeah. for them and great for Northeastern. Great for Northeastern. Yeah, for sure. What else did you take from that game, Pierre? I know we have a lot of Montreal listeners and they're probably, you know, curious to know what you thought of Lane Hudson uh, in that game. What did you like from him last night? The good part of Lane's game was his puck possession. Uh, 
his ability to distribute and how smart he was in the offensive zone. The bad part was deep in his own zone, a lot of high-risk plays, tried to do too much with the puck, uh, became over-aggressive offensively a couple times. Um, mm -hmm. It paid off at the end of the second period. He scored a great goal, Jimmy, uh, to put BU ahead with five seconds to go uh, in the second period. But I just thought the good and the bad kind of was a balance. So if you were to ask me to grade him, A being the best and D being the worst, I'd say he was a B player last night. Okay. Just because even though there was a lot of greatness, there was some not so great either. Now, all that being said, the stuff that he has to do at BU, he's probably not going to be asked to do in Montreal. Like, right. He's going to be asked to run the power play. There's no question. And he's going to be really good at that. He's not going to be on the ice defending a one goal lead in, in the no. NHL. That's just not going to be his thing. He's not going to be doing that. He's not going to be asked to be the first guy in on the four check either in the NHL. You exactly. know, and he's not going to be playing in the NHL. I'm telling you right now, that guy's not going to be playing uh, 24 to 28 minutes a game. It's just not going to be happening. So yeah. you know, he's going to have to become more efficient. And I believe that will happen once he gets to the NHL. And Pierre, too, I mean, just so our listeners know there, in terms of the style that BU plays right now, uh, would you call them more up-tempo? I'd say they're a reflection of the 1980s Edmonton Oilers. Um, yeah. and, you know, Jimmy, again, I, whatever I say to you off the air, I bring it on the air. And yep. You know what? You know what? And I'm mm -hmm. going to say this right now. They play reckless. Yeah. And, and it's not because they're a bad team. They play reckless because they're so confident in their skill level. They're a lot like Tampa Bay Lightning are. When Tampa's yeah. playing well, nobody calls them reckless. But when Tampa loses games – they lose them right. because they turn the puck over. They give up on man rushes. They're too high risk on the forecheck. But, you know, they've had a lot of success. They've been in the final three times in the last five years. Right. So, you know, you look at it, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. I don't think BU can do that. And here, here's one other thing that's different about college hockey compared to major junior. They have a lot of kids. I'm talking about young players. Yeah. Macklin Celebrini, 18, 19. 20. Yep. They don't have a lot of guys over 21. They just don't. Right. Most guys in college hockey are 21 or older. It's hard to win with kids. Just man physically, manpower wise, it's just hard to win with kids. And I think that's one of the things you see why a team like Minnesota State can do so well, Jimmy. Um, mm -hmm. That's why you see a team like Quinnipiac, who does mm -hmm. so well at tournament time. They're more mature players, they're older guys, they're more physically stout. Um, they don't make as many mistakes because they have more experience. And, and so when you're BC or you're BU, you don't have those older yeah. players. You and I think we're, we're kind of seeing because of that, you know, I was going to say it's, I'd say probably within the last two weeks and now going, we've seen a little more chinks in the armor with BU, right? I mean, we saw it when they had those two games against BC, all those aspects that you just discussed there kind of came to the surface. Whereas I thought they were kind of coasting along until then, but now the games are getting tighter uh, you know, every little point matters. So I think that's what you're talking about there. Like they don't have, in my opinion, Pierre, I don't know if Boston University has what it takes to make it all the way. I think they could make a run. They could catch fire. Maybe you never know. But if if I was going to a betting man, I would not be betting on them to win a national championship right now. No, but I, I think the one thing is they probably have the best player. They have the best player. Yeah. Celebrini is the best player. I mean, People can say what they want about, you know, I won't even dignify the other players because I have so much respect for all of them. So I don't want to bring their names and say, oh, McGuire said you're not better than Celebrini. 
They're all really good. Macklin Celebrini's just at another level. It's how he watched the first goal that BU scores last oh, night. Just, just watch how quick that puck's on a stick and off a stick. And I was yep. sitting right next to it. I was right on the line. That That's big time. That's not a little NHL goal. That's a big time NHL goal. Yeah. It's right that age. He's, he's just – he's a different player. He's just – he's yeah. different than anybody else in college hockey right now. He just is. It's, it's good stuff. That's not to say Cutter Gochi's not a good player. That's not to say Will Smith's not a good player. That's not to say Gabe Perot's not a good player. That's not to say Ryan Leonard's not a good player. Like, we can go down the line with all these great players. Right. Bradley Lindo up in Maine. You know, we can throw them all out there from North Dakota, from Denver, whatever you want to do. Michigan, Michigan mm-hmm. State, it doesn't matter. He's just a different player. Yeah. So that right. gives him a bit of an advantage. But one of the things I saw last night, you know, Rakovian, Justin Rakovian had a great game, by the way, yeah. uh, for Northeastern. And he's played great his whole career there. Um, kid from Montreal, his brother's playing on the team as well. Rakovian was phenomenal last night. And, and so he made it harder for Celebrini at different times in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, he's one of the better faceoff guys in the country. He's a good player. Um, yeah. So teams match up and they play hard on him and that's what he's going to get a steady diet of now till the end of the tournament for sure for sure all right let's switch to the pro ranks here and we'll stay in boston pierre as you and i were discussing can we say one thing, we say one yeah. thing? so boston college played harvard in the you know the preliminary game because they yep. call it the consolation game i forgot to mention nobody, they were. scott fusco told us nobody wants to play in that game yeah. <laughs> he, he played in it four times nobody wants to play in that game it's almost like a punishment. Boston College has a really good goalie. His name is Justin Fowler. He plays at Boston College. Yes, he did play yesterday. Thought he was with BU. Yeah, he doesn't play at Boston University. He plays at Boston College, and he didn't play yesterday. I just thought we'd put that out there. I think we should too. Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, misconception in some areas of the media uh, this morning uh, that we won't get into. Uh, and by the way, too, not I know, like you said, that game didn't mean anything, but credit to Boston College for getting up enough to make it mean something and, and playing what was a pretty dominant game. I know Harvard probably yeah, wasn't yeah. wanting to be there, but... They were dominant. Yeah. Listen, I, I was there, Jimmy. They were dominant. And yeah. I know this isn't the strongest Harvard team. That being said, there's some good things at Harvard, too. The goaltending has been really good at Harvard all year. Joe Miller, who's a Toronto Maple Leafs draft pick, is a really good player. Ben McDonald, who's a freshman or a first year, they call it now, uh, at Harvard. He's a third-round pick of Seattle. He's a really dynamic offensive player. There's some good things there. Um, but They took they took Northeastern to overtime last week, Pierre, in well, a game that and, didn't and win. And the Gunnar Wolf-Fontaine, Harvard probably wins that game. Exactly. So, so I mean, Harvard's a good – listen, I've, <laughs> I know a lot about Harvard. And we, we, we are Teddy Donato fans. We are. Yes, Teddy is. came on the show, and he was outstanding. He was, was great. He was great. He was great. But anyways, just getting back to it, I just want to say that Justin Fowler, he plays at Boston College. Yes. Yes, he, he does, and he's a very good goalie. He's and he did not play goalie. yesterday. Nope, nope. Well, speaking of Boston, let's stay to a team that plays in that same building that you were in last night in a building I will be in shortly, uh, Pierre, and that is the TD Garden where they will see the Boston Bruins host the Tampa Bay Lightning. And yes, that's always a great event because those two teams do not like each other and it's a good Atlantic Division battle. It means a lot for both teams right now. 
but it's also the 1,000th game for one Brad Marchand. And Pierre, as we were you know, talking earlier this afternoon, and I said, to, and this is not to take anything away from Brad Marchand. I was just being honest with you. When he came into the league, I did not see him playing a thousand games and I did not see him having the career he did. And I have been repeatedly pleasantly surprised and, and left in awe at times of what this player has become and does on a nightly basis. And not just in terms of skill, but just his will and his leadership here. And as you said to me, uh, that leadership came from a pretty good group of leaders that he's been privileged enough to play around pretty much his whole career and he's he's but that's not to take anything away from him because you have to apply what you learn but he has been blessed here right in terms of people that he's been able to play with and learn from you've been so on it and i just love the way you presented that jimmy so just what we talked about jimmy and i this afternoon was you look at the influence of zidane Chara, you look at the influence of dennis seidenberg you look at the influence of a johnny boychuk you look at the influence of a mark recce you look at the influence of Patrice Berger and you look at the influence of a David Krejci. So the mentorship part of this has been huge for Brad. Now, I'm going to take you back on a little visit down memory lane. In 2007, Canada and Russia played an eight-game series. It was mm -hmm. called the Super Series. It wasn't the Super Series from 1972, but it was 25 years later. Yep. And, and so what they wanted to do um, or 35 years later, excuse me, what they wanted to do was play the, the world junior teams against one another, which they did. And on that team for Canada was a young player by the name of John Tavares. Brad Marchand was on that team. Claude Giroux was on that team. Drew Doughty was on that team. Uh, Luke Shen was on that team. We're just going over off the top of my head, guys that were on that team. Milan Lucic was on that team. That's right. And I will tell you, Brad, uh, David Perron was on that team. Brad was great in the whole tournament. And, Jimmy, I, I brought this up to you, and this is for the people at home. I want to see if my memory still works. The last game, I believe, was in Vancouver. Brent Sutter was coaching. And Brad must have said something or done something in terms of a penalty, and he didn't play. He didn't yep. play. And so that's when players start to learn. You're, you're part of a team. They won seven and tied one. So they went undefeated in that eight-game series. We were in Russia for 21 days in the middle of the summer. And wow. we were outside of our little short sojourn in Moscow. We were in some different places, let me tell you. Yeah. And um, it was great. I'll never forget that experience. But what I really remember about that, the leadership of Lucic, because we were in some pretty tough places, and the way Brad responded to Milan in that situation. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot. That's when my first real inkling that this guy was going to be a player. I never thought he was going to play a thousand games. I thought he'd be more like a 500 game player, which is a hell yeah. of a career. That's an amazing career. Yeah. But he's playing a thousand game tonight. Thousand games. Way to go. Yeah. That's and awesome. he's, he's won one Stanley Cup. He's been to three finals. Uh, you know, it's it's unreal. And look, Pierre, we know. And everyone, it's, it's well documented that he had a lot of issues. Um, as you said earlier to me, he's a very passionate player. He's a passionate hockey man. He's a passionate person. He's a passionate player. And for a while, it was an issue containing that passion. And then you already referenced, even at a young age. But, you know, it came to a boiling point in 2018 with the whole licking incident. And I just remember 
I remember him coming out probably a few days after that because he didn't talk in the immediate aftermath. And he came out and, he, you know, he was embarrassed, clearly embarrassed and rightfully so. But you could see, I mean, he, he looked as if he was holding back tears. And I did, I'll, I'll never forget. And he just, he knew. And he said, I let my team down. And that, that's that's the biggest lesson I'm taking right now. I, I got to correct stuff. But the big thing is I can't let my team down like that. And I embarrassed this franchise. And I embarrassed a, an original six franchise, you know. And that's when it hit him, Pierre, that I think he he knew he was good. But I think it hit him there. And a little before that, maybe in the World Cup, when he was playing with all those guys in 2016, I think that was when he started to realize that he could be on another level of players, another pedestal. But I think it hit him there, and he hasn't looked back since. He's been one of the best leaders in the NHL since that year, since that Tampa series. Uh, you're spot on. I remember doing our good friend Mitch Melnick's show in Montreal, and they were asking me, well, what about this licking incident with Ryan Callahan? I said, that's never going to happen again. I guarantee you he's going to get read the riot act and he will never do that again. And yep. he's basically been on his best behavior. Hockey players yep. get in trouble on the ice for other infractions. Right. But he'll never do that again. No chance. No no yep. way. And other people thought he would. I just, you know the player, you know the character. You know he's not going to do it. I will tell you one quick one. And, Jimmy, again, I tell you stuff off the air and I bring it to the air. In 2011, the Bruins played Vancouver in the Stanley Cup final. I did every game with Doc Emmerich and, and Eddie Olchek. And in between, during a TV timeout, in one of the games in Vancouver, Brad was out of control. And he was screaming at Maxime LaPierre on the other bench. And I just said, you know what? This isn't any good. So I pushed my talk back. Right next to me on the bench is Mark Recchi. Mm -hmm. and I don't have to say anything to him. He knows what's going on. And he says to Marshawn, cut the crap. He yeah. said, not that nicely, but you know what I mean. It was a synonym. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was a synonym. And yeah. um, he really gave it to him. And he says, we're here to win a hockey game. We're not here to do that stuff. You do that away on your own time. Yeah. And you know what? Brad never said another word the rest of the rest of the series. You remember? I mean, from game three on in that series, he was a beast. He was an absolute beast, man. I just and speaking you, Mark, of Mark got him. Like, Mark got his attention. He did. And Jimmy, it made a difference. And that's what we're talking about, that mentorship that he was fortunate yep. to be around. Yeah. Mark was one of those guys. Well, Mark was one of those guys, too. And, you know, Mark also, I've been texting with him today. And, uh, you know, he told me to tell everyone out here how proud he is of uh, Brad Marchand uh, for the that's milestone awesome. he's reaching tonight. But, you know, speaking of that series, Pierre, let's go to this goal clip because you had some some great insight on this uh, in your analysis after he scored this goal in that 2011 Stanley Cup final. Here's Brad Marchand goal. Carried on by Daniel Sedin. Lost it, poked away by Marshawn. Dances to the outside, takes his own pass. Marshawn along in front. Score! Watch this play right here. Move the puck to yourself. Speed to the outside. Ryan Kessler not able to stay. And then patience with the puck. Hold, hold, hold. Elevate the puck. Oh, we missed the clip with Pierre. We didn't have that part. But Pierre, tell him what you – so yeah. he saw that. He, he, you meant, Ryan Kessler got mentioned there. What did you know and what did you see that they were targeting in that play in the moment? Ryan Kessler was hurt. And so Barshan knew it. And he took him through – he knew right away. He identified it. I'm down there. I see what he's looking right at. He says, I take the guy right to the net. 
Mm -hmm. And it was, I don't know if it was made public at the time, but Kessler was hurt and mm -hmm. he could not skate. He's an elite, he was an elite skater when he played in his prime. Mm -hmm. He couldn't match the pace. And I, that's what I said. I said right away, I said, this is chip, chase, and get to the net hockey. He chips yep. it to himself, he chases the puck, and then he beats Kessler right to the net. And it was a fearless play made by a world-class player in Brad yeah. Marshall. And another shorthanded goal, which he went on to become oh one God. of the masters in shorthanded goals. Oh, I mean, he, he's one of the best I've covered when it comes to scoring shorties or just penalty killing in general. And obviously, Patrice Bergeron, Mark Recchi, other guys like that have really taught him along the way. But uh, he's just got a flair for the dramatic when he's killing a penalty. It's unreal. He does. Um, he's not as good at 66 was in Pittsburgh, though. No, Raymond Bork could tell you some stories about 66 going. Oh, yes. Yep. So could it's some guys good. in Minnesota in the 91 final. I mean, yeah. for Brad to be able to do it at his size, I think what Brad's 5'9", probably 5'10". Yeah, 5'9", 176. Yeah, so to do it at his size, you know, Mario in his prime, 6'5", probably 215, 220. Yep. You know, to do it at his size and then to see Brad do it at his size, it's two different ways of doing it, but they're both elite. But Mario was amazing when it came to shorthanded goals and opportunities. It's unbelievable to watch him. You know what I think? It just came to my head here, Pierre, and I was talking about, I forget who, who we were talking about. But anyhow, Martian, obviously, like you were just saying, small in stature. So, you know, and that's obviously been a knock on him as he's coming up the ranks and even into his NHL career. That he's too small to really become a good goal scorer and do this and do that. And and he clearly used it as motivation. I mean, obviously he had a chip on his shoulder and that's, that's helped him get to the point where he's at, that he's playing in his thousandth game tonight. But one of the things that I respect about the way he handled that or the way he manifested that chip on his shoulder is that he, he's never let it like push him too hard. I don't know how to say it here. I, I remember Tim Thomas, okay? Yep. Remember Tim Thomas always had to prove people wrong, and he did. Oh, yeah. He, he, he played with a every day. I never yeah. seen a guy play goal like a linebacker. He was a linebacker playing goal. Exactly. But one thing I noticed, Pierre, about Thomas in his last few years was when he didn't have to prove anybody wrong, it was his game kind of declined. It was like, <laughs> I don't have that chip on his shoulder to feed off right now. Since Martian hasn't really had to prove people wrong and people have accepted that he's a superstar, he still keeps going. So my, I guess my question just to you is, like, you've coached players. You've probably seen players in similar situations. How impressive is it to you when when sort of the the player loses that fuel that they've used for so long, and but when they get to the top, they keep going? Because sometimes they'll go backwards because they – I don't I, – I can't feed off this anymore – you ever notice that about some players? Yeah, there's one guy that won a consummate trophy, Brad Richards. Go look at oh, where yeah. Brad Richards was drafted, and he had to continually prove people wrong. And Brad was a phenomenal player. I mean, the 04 Stanley Cup, Tampa wins it in a oh, game yeah. seven. Brad Richards is a story that, you know, I, I know they had Happy Boulin, and I know they had Vinny LeCavi, I know they had Danny Boyle, and they had Tortorella coaching. But Brad Richards, like, there's a perfect example of what you're talking about. And his okay. career – distinguished like unbelievably distinguished career another guy that i think um was like that was steve larmer mm. well steve larmer was a phenomenal player eventually his career ends at winning the stanley cup in new york in 94 
but Steve Larmer was an amazing, amazing player for so long. And, you know, people forget this, but we had Michel Goulet on the show, what, a couple weeks ago, two or three weeks yeah. ago. Michel Goulet, Steve Larmer, and Jeremy Roenick, it's not even debatable. Go look at the numbers. That line was on. 92, those two years, the best line in the league. Yeah. They, it they was a rough shot all over the league. <laughs> yeah. It was ridiculous. Really you know, I, I was part of a staff that had to drop a game plan to play against them in the final. Mm -hmm. it, it was hard to do, you know, yeah. and our players, to their credit, we won in four straight, but our players, to their credit, followed the plan. It's not yeah. easy to do, though. But I, I just think it's impressive when a player has reached sort of that plateau, but he doesn't plateau out. You know what I mean? And I, I that's one thing I've loved about yeah. Martian is that he just keeps going. Like, he doesn't have to prove anything. And if he retired tomorrow – he he could be a borderline Hall of Famer, Pierre. I don't know, if, you know. He's he's there. He's in the conversation. I think. Oh yeah, no, no. I mean, we'll no, see. but he keeps going, and that's what I love about him is that he he didn't let that um, that motivation he had. He he found another way to stay motivated. I guess is what I'm trying to say, and that's what I think is one of the most impressive things about him. I think one of the things that helped motivate you, if you're playing in a city you really love and the team that drafted you, you're motivated to stay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think all the stuff he's been through in Boston, he was motivated to stay. And I think some of his mentors probably said, you know what, this is a great place to play. This yeah. is a hockey mad city and you're going to want to stay here. The grass is not always greener on the other side. And, and so I think that's one of the things that really helped motivate him, Jimmy. And another thing, you know, you talked about, I thought expertly a little while ago, Tyler Sagan gets traded. Mm -hmm. He and Tyler Sagan were tight, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not that Tyler hasn't done well. He's done unbelievably well down in Dallas, but. Oh, I know. think that woke, I think that woke Martian up for sure. I think, it, I think sometimes. They, they, they were running mates off the ice too, if well, you know what I mean. <laughs> sometimes there's a situation where you get scared straight in a hurry. Mm -hmm. and that might've been one of those for him. Yeah. Yeah, good call. Good call, Pierre. Well, listen, we haven't seen anything on the uh, the Morgan Riley uh, situation yet. Uh, nothing's come down yet. If it does happen, we will notify you and, and, and break it down. But um, speaking of officiating and, and penalties and what have you and, and the rule book, uh, psyched to let us, our viewers and listeners know, we just booked a great guest for tomorrow, former NHL referee and now ESPN's and. NHL referee analyst is Dave Jackson, and he'll be joining us tomorrow. Dave's a great guy. You know Dave, Pierre, and uh, I, I was lucky enough to get to know him living up in Montreal. He's got a lot of Montreal connections there, grew up in the West Island, um, lives out in Denver now. So really excited to have him on. So that just adds to a great end of the week. We'll have John Liu from TSN in, in Winnipeg on Thursday, and then we're going to close out talking about LIU. Yeah. Here. I bet a lot of people don't know what LIU is. Yeah, Long Island University. And uh, Brett Riley, who's a tremendous young coach, the guy that helped found the program there, he'll be joining us from Alaska. His team will be in Fairbanks, Alaska. Jeremy Swayman uh, country. Which, yeah, Jeremy Swayman country. There you go. Um, so that'll be a ton of fun, too. You're talking about Dave Jackson. Um, I called Dave the other day uh, to congratulate him. His son, Ryan, is a uh -huh. linesman in the National Hockey League. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. I watched him do a Sunday afternoon game at MSG. Mm -hmm. 
called him up and I said, I just want to congratulate you because, you know, I study the referees as much as I study the players. Yep. And, and tactics and tendencies and, and the way some guys call a game, the way some linesmen drop the puck and just study it. Yeah. And I said, your son did a tremendous job in the game. And Dave was like, really? You, you knew that was my son? I'm like, yeah, I know it was your son. <laughs> So I, I'm really happy for Dave because, you know, whenever your son gets to go to the, or your daughter gets to go to the highest level, it's always pretty cool. It's awesome. That's great. You know, it's funny. I remember having Dave on a podcast I was doing uh, probably in the last year or so here. And we were talking about Marshan actually. And I, <laughs> I said, you know, you know, was he a pain in a you know what uh, to deal with? And he said in the beginning, but he goes, obviously, honestly, Murph over the, and we'll talk about this tomorrow over the years. I gained so much respect for him because he became one of those guys who were like, yeah, he's going to cross the line sometimes, but he wanted to understand. He wanted to know what he could do better. And he was always willing to talk. He wasn't like a jerk to me. He, he wanted to understand what I saw. He may not agree with me all the time, but he wanted to get it and he wanted to get it right. Uh, and he actually just texted me before we were coming on. He said, do me a favor. I don't have Marshy's number, but uh, let him know after the game, if you can pull him aside. I said, congratulations. So, that says a lot about Brad Martian right there and about Dave. That's really cool. Um, yeah. I'm really happy for Brad. Obviously, you get to know a guy over the course of his career. and It's been a distinguished career. We talked about it off the top, Jimmy, a thousand games. I mean. Yeah, you know, don't underestimate people what that means. Only eight Bruins have done it now. That's a so. pretty – I mean, I'm old. I'm into 2000 now, and I can tell you. <laughs> it's, <laughs> It's amazing. I just think about, you know, I wasn't playing. I was just riding the plane or riding the bus or whatever. But, yeah, it, no, it's an amazing accomplishment. Really, really happy yeah. for him. Let me ask you, Pierre. You get you reach milestones like that, and you've, you've dealt with players that have, have been there and been in the shoes he'll be in or skates he'll be in today or tonight. Um, it, it, can you – when you're still playing, can you enjoy – because he's been talking about this a little. Can you enjoy the moment? Can you soak it in because – you know, you're always so living in the moment. That's how these guys live. That's their routine. And that's how they succeed is that they don't get ahead or look back. They just stay right in this moment. You think he's going to be able to soak any of this in? And they're going to do a little pregame thing on uh, next Monday at, at a matinee against the Dallas Stars. But it's got to be tough. It's it's probably something he'll look back on, right? Yeah, that. But I also think probably at the morning skate, he probably thought about it. The people that helped him. Like, care about him yeah that have really pushed him some of his old teammates some of the mentors that we've already talked about um you know one of the things that i i think is really important in, in hockey I, I don't know the other pro sports i mean hockey i think i know pretty well um our guys are really grounded like there's not a lot of arrogant guys they know it's a humbling game it's a mm -hmm. really tough game played by really tough people Yep. And I, I think whenever you hit a milestone, even if you dislike the player, mm -hmm. you respect what he's accomplished. And I've seen that a lot over the course of my career where there have been a lot of guys that have, you know, hit the 500 game marker, hit the 750 game marker, hit the 1,000 game marker. They're not always the most popular guys, especially away from the ring, Jimmy. But mm -hmm. for whatever reason, that moment that they're at 500 or they're at 750 or they're at 1,000, everybody's kind of cheering for him because like they know what he went through. And I think yeah. that's a lot about what hockey is, you know, not all this other rubbish where, you know, we want to make hockey violent again and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Hockey, hockey's, hockey's full of really special people. 
It really it is. is. It, it really is. is. I mean, just look what look at what these guys do every Christmas when they go to the hospitals. Mm -hmm. look, what they, look at what they do at U.S. Thanksgiving. Look at what they do at Canadian Thanksgiving. Look at what they do at different times. I think I told you this story off the air. I never told it to you. Brock Besser is a phenomenal guy. It's phenomenal. Yeah, was, you, know, you have told it, but go tell it again. And I was yeah, just going Yep. So anyways, I got a call from the coach in Penticton, Fred Harbinson, who's a good friend of the show. And and again, being transparent, my son played in Penticton and Fred called me up and he said, uh, I have a favorite ask. He said, sure. He says, one of our great townspeople has a son uh, in the hospital at the Ronald McDonald house in Vancouver. And he's a huge Vancouver Canuck fan. Is there any way you can get some memorabilia brought to him? Cause they're going to be there for a long time. Mm -hmm battling cancer and i said yeah so i got in touch with brock besser he went right over on his own he bought a game sweater he signed it he visited with the young man and the mom and just an unbelievable like he never asked for anything he just yeah. said you know i'll do this and i won't tell anybody about it and he did yeah and it's just you know amazing. when vancouver when vancouver was here last week pierre i actually i he's there in the locker room i didn't have a chance but some other reporter was talking his ear off so she didn't really give us a chance to get in there and say anything. But I, I, I wanted to go up to him and be like, hey, I know you don't want anyone to hear this, but I heard this great story about you. And, you know, and yeah, no. credit such a good man. I'll never forget. He got drafted in Florida. He played at Dakota for our friend Brad Berry. Uh -huh. And, you know, you see how when Brad talked about him, how his eyes just lit up. He was so excited to talk about Brock Besser. You know, Brock just lost his father, and it just, I just can't say that. Yeah, amazing stuff. He's a, he's a trip, but that he's one example. He's a snapshot of the entire league. Oh yeah, remember last week we were talking about TJ Oshi texting yeah. back and forth when the Bruins were playing, and he scored. And I I said I'm so happy for this guy because uh, you know everything he's been through. So yeah, there's a lot of good people. We're lucky. Just, just so everybody knows, my good friend Jimmy Murphy, and I'm proud to call you a friend. He sent Thank me a text, and I forget where I was, Jimmy. I was somewhere, I was traveling, so I was probably at a college hockey game. And Jimmy sends me a text of, of TJ Oshie's magical moment in Sochi. And I'm listening to it, and it really almost brought tears to my eyes. It was such a magical moment. Yeah. I'll never forget leaving the rink with Doc that, that night in Sochi. Oh, yeah. I'll never forget that. It was pretty amazing. And then what about when they won the cup here and they brought his dad on the ice? Oh, that was uh, that was really After that, that was <laughs> Not a dry eye around there for that, for yeah, sure. I was going to say, I was in Vegas. That, that's I still think about that. That's a tough one in a good way, you know. But yeah. that's, you know, obviously Mr. Oshie's passed away, but it's that was a tough one. That was really it tough. was good. All right, let's open it up to questions here. Let's see what we got. Alex Evanoski, what do you think Columbus should do come trade deadline? Ooh, that's a good question. That's a team I think we're going to talk about a lot in the next few weeks, Pierre. I think so, too. Boone Jenner's name has been mentioned in a possible trade. Could the Sabres Blue Jackets trade be something good for both sides or a contender? Well, Boone would benefit any contender. Um, he hasn't had a great year this year. A lot of it's because of injury. I know that he's gone on the record and said he wants to stay in Columbus. He wants to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they can afford to trade him. He's a tremendous leader. He's thirty years old. Ownership too. He's very tight with ownership. Pierre, yeah, no, he's he's a, this is a yeah. again. We, talk, we just finished. We don't rehearse this stuff. And great question yeah. from Mark. we talked about all the great people in the league. Like Boone Jenner's an amazing guy. Oh yeah, amazing guy, and he's great in that organization. He's great in that community. Yeah. And 
So I don't know if they're in a rush, Alex, to trade them or not. But would the Sabres benefit from getting a player like that? Yeah, you're darn right they would. Yeah. I, I don't know how Columbus would replace that player. Would be, you know, and again, I, I think Fantilli's going to be great. He's injured right now, and, and I think he's going to be really, really good. Yeah. But I don't know if he's got the same leadership dynamic as Boone Jenner has. I don't think Zach Wierenski has the same leadership dynamic that Boone Jenner. And Zach's a, Zach can play on any team in the, in the league and be mm-hmm. a league player on any team in the league. But I don't know if he's the same leader as Boone Jenner. I just don't know if he is. Yeah, it'll be interesting. No, I mean, I've heard his name out there, but one thing I think is exactly what you said, Pierre. He just means too much to that team now, and I would think going forward. All right, next question. We got any? <laughs> we got a lot of comments, I can see. Comments are good. Throw some comments. Comments are good. Throw some comments up, too. Yeah, you guys stink. <laughs> There we go. Uh, hit the like button. We like that comment, Evan. Thank you. <laughs> you know what? I just need to know where Evan is. Evan, if you're hearing us, are you in uh, parts unknown? I'm wondering if what Evan's actually doing, where he is right now. It's probably dark where he is. I know that. <laughs> I'll tell you, I like this over here. Just uh, totally unrelated to Martian or, or trades, but I see Mitch Balin with a comment here, Pierre, saying his kid is 11 and I'm teaching him to take big hits up the boards. Is that too early? No. no. One of the, I know a lot of hockey moms will be mad at me and maybe some hockey dads too. I think you should be able to hit at any level. And I'll tell you why. I think if you teach players to angle rather than hit, you won't have a lot of this nonsense that we see right now. Um, I, You know, again, I'm a hockey father. I coached for a long time and I played. Mm-hmm. Um I've been teaching my son since he's been three years old how to angle people. And, you know, I think that's an important part of the game. I think it's an amazing defensive mechanism. If you understand how to hit properly and cleanly, you're not going to get in trouble. And and I think it's one of the things that allows players to get into a lot of bad habits. If they know there's going to be nobody hitting them, and then all of a sudden hitting's allowed. A lot of guys yeah. watch the younger players. They'll ski with their head down. They yeah. all get whacked right in the chest. And, Everybody's like, oh, that's so violent. No, but if the player's head was up and he was trained right from the beginning, mm-hmm. it'd be okay. It's another thing. I like the fact that in major junior hockey, you only have to wear a half shield. Okay? Mm-hmm. There's a reason why. I watch college hockey all the time, and I watch major junior all the time. And in We're college hockey, right. the players use their heads as battering rams. They do. It's like playing football with skates on. The other thing, too, is they dive face first in front of shots because they're not fearful. They know mm-hmm. it's just going to hit them in the face and there's going to be no mark. Right. Well, I lost my teeth, you know, playing hockey. And, and so there's always a thought, you know, be careful. Yeah. And, and so when you have full facial protection, nobody's fearful of anything. Yeah. And I think that leads to problems. A lot of hits from behind, That's a lot of dirty play around the net, a lot of cross checks in the face. Yep. And, so I just want to protect the eye. I think eye protection is a really important thing. For sure. Really for sure. So. All right. We do have a question, actually, from Mitch there, if we can bring it up. Mitch Balin, uh, he says, what could David Savard and Mike Matheson fetch for Montreal? All right, Pierre, before you answer this, I I just – and you're probably hearing the same thing. We have not talked about this yet, but it's, it's, get, it's getting on my nerves a bit. Mike Matheson's not on the market as far as I know right now, I don't know where this started. 
I hear it all the time on Montreal radio. I see it all the time on Twitter. Mike Matheson is arguably their best player this year. He's having a great year. I, I think that he's maybe playing. He's not slotted where he needs to be. Playing too much. Playing too much. Yep. It's playing too much. He's maybe not slotted where he needs to be, but I think he's having one of the best years he's had in recent memory. So I don't think he's going anywhere, but Savard, I definitely could be seeing moves. I'll let you take it from there, Pierre. No, so we're on the same page. Not much more has to be said. The one thing I'd say in defense of Michael Matheson, um, if his minutes come down at 20 to 22 minutes per game rather than 27 to 30 minutes a game, he'll be much more efficient. Uh, he's still got a lot of game left, and you're right. This has been his best year. For whatever reason, it didn't work out in Pittsburgh. I, I don't know, Jimmy, what happened there because uh, yeah. I know the organization in Pittsburgh, and I know the player really well. Really, yeah. really well. I know you do. Well, it's kind of a weird deal. I don't know how that whole thing happened there, but there, it, it obviously did. I'll tell you this, too, right now in terms of Matheson, too. And you know this, being around the game for so long. We've seen this happen so many times. When players are traded to their hometown, I, I, I don't know if I'm putting the percentage too high, but I feel like 60, 65% of the time it doesn't work out because you, you've just got – so much build up because you're from there. You've got so many people wanting favors from you. All sorts of things can happen when you go back home. Maybe there was a situation before that you wanted to get away with, and now it's there again. I don't know, but I've just seen it not work so many times. To me, it seems like Mike Matherson was born to be a Canadian. He just seems to fit the role. He handles the media perfect. He doesn't get too high or too low. I just think it's a great fit. I really do. Uh, we agree. Uh, there's not much more I can add to that. We totally agree. Yep. yep. All right. Let's go to another question. Could the Devils get Elvis Merzlikens? Ooh, interesting. Um, they could. I don't know if that makes them better, though. Ah. You know what I mean? They, I think they got guys like Elvis. I think they need to take a step. And that's not, again, Elvis is a good player. He's, he's good. Do I think he's a 1A? No, I think he's a 1B. Yep. Well, I think a guy like that becomes available because the organization probably sees him the same way. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a reason why Jonas Corposalo was traded out of Columbus last year. Because they, they didn't see him as a 1A. And yeah. if they traded Merzlikens, who's had an opportunity to be a 1A, they're trading him because he can't be a 1A. So I don't know yeah. if that makes them better, Randy. Randy asked these great questions, too, by the way. I love the fact that Randy's such a passionate hockey guy. He, he asks really good questions. Me too. And let, let's talk, though, about goalies in New Jersey there, Pierre. I sent you a link before the uh, show today. You know, Jimmy, I read it. I read it. Um, I think there's some merit to that in terms of the cap and the dollars. About it to me. I don't see. We're talking about Markson, by the way. Just I don't know how Calgary does that, Jimmy, in the middle of what they've done. Obviously, they lost last night 2 nothing in New York. But you know what? If you watch that game, they, that was a goalie game. Yeah, it was a great Holy nothing game, and it, it could have gone either way. It really could have gone either way. Blake Coleman had an unbelievable opportunity to tie that game up uh, in the third period. Just, you know, whatever. Shesterkin made a good save, and I don't think Blake got great wood on his shot. That being said, uh, you know, Markstrom was great. Shesterkin was great. That was a really good hockey game, even though there wasn't a lot of scoring. I don't know. Calgary's kind of worked their way back into the playoff on here in the West. I don't know if they're in a rush to maybe yeah. do it with that right now, Jimmy. I still think that's an off-season deal. Really, for Craig Conroy, if he could get help get that team in the playoffs, uh, 
that's a heck of a managing job. I'll just tell you that right now. It's a heck and of a coaching managing. job, like we said, Pierre. Yeah, awesome. look, yeah with Ryan Husker. So you look at – so they trade Elias Lindholm and, mm -hmm. and they trade Zadora off, two really important players, and they're still relatively – uh, I think in the race. In fact, they, they, are, in the race. Yep. they are in the race. They are in the race. I don't know if you can trade Marsham and then expect Dustin Wolf to carry it or Dan Vladar. I just don't. Do you know what I mean? I think your fans might get mad at you. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. One thing I'll say though, Pierre, I keep coming back to it with New Jersey. First of all, and you and I knew this was good. That means whatever happened with Marsham, it, it's an indication that clearly Tom Fitzgerald is working the phones feverishly to yeah. solve that problem because he knows he needs to, not just now, but going forward. But I'm going to keep going back. I just, just my hunch, Nashville, Nashville, Jersey connection. They beat Seattle last night. They're in Nashville tonight. Huge game for New Jersey. Gigantic. Mm -hmm. This is a gigantic game for Nashville. Oh, like that's the game. This is a playoff game. Ten years ago, could you imagine sitting there yeah. on a podcast and saying, oh, "Yeah, game of the night, Tuesday night, Nashville." Yeah, I'll, I'll be right on that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a really important game tonight for both yep. teams. Yeah, and this is going to be a big one. This is going to be a big one. So keep an eye on that. All right, let's go to the next question. Would I? You'd know this, Pierre? No, I would not. Would Burke, Mitch Allen, would Berkeley Catan be a steal at 10 if he drops that low? Mitch, I haven't done any uh, draft research on a lot yeah, of players. I can't, I can't I've been so in tune and watching different guys for friends of mine that haven't done any of that yet. But I'll, we'll, we're, Jimmy and I have talked about it. We'll start getting up to speed on all that stuff. For sure. Thanks. All right. Next question. Enter tap. Wolf is ready to take over. Marsham return will help retool quickly. Okay, I don't. So okay, I get that. I, I know Wolf's been really good in the American Hockey League with Calgary, and they have they have a fine program there. They've done really well there. Uh, I don't. I haven't seen that in the NHL yet. I mean, I think he's been okay, but to say that he's going to take over for Markstrom, I just my biggest concern with Wolf is just his size. Yeah, you know, and and so. You know, I know UC Saros has been able to do it as a smaller guy, but I just long term, I just don't know, Jimmy, with all the way guys get broken down now, it's really hard to be a smaller guy and last a long time. It just it's it's just hard. Right now is really Saros, right? That's yeah, the only guy. Yeah. All right. Alex, I'll tell you what, Alex Lyon is another one, but you look at his, you know, journey. To where he is right now, and Alex, hats off to that guy, man. Unbelievable. He's, yeah. You it's know something. We should get him on. He's one of the most underrated stories right now in the NHL. He, he might be the he might be one of the greater stories in the league right now. You know, to yeah, be where he's know. from. He's from Lake of the Woods, you know, up, yeah. up in Manitoba, Minnesota, from Bobette, yep. uh, Minnesota, which is a testing ground, a car testing ground, but also obviously great wildlife fishing. But he could have went to Yale. You know, you look <laughs> at it. It's, uh, it's a it's a great story. I, I remember doing Yale games when he was playing in them, and uh, yeah, no, he you knew he was good. Not a lot of guys leave the Ivy League schools before they graduate. Mm -hmm. You know, Matt Coronado left last year. Alex LaFerriere left last year. Um, but not a lot of guys leave before they get their diploma. They just don't. It's too hard a, a thing. He left after his third year at Yale. He still hasn't graduated from Yale yet. Talking about yep. Alex. But he, 
He believed he bet on himself. That guy bet on himself. He really did. I'm, and look, Pierre, like, let's not forget. I mean, I know Bobrovsky took over and they ran with him, but let's not forget what he did to get the Panthers in the playoffs last yeah, they wouldn't have got. They wouldn't have got in the playoffs. They don't they get there without him. No they chance. don't get there without him. No That's chance. it. No Period. Chance. All right, yeah, next question. Jimmy, I would like to know what Caps will do at the deadline. I think that's another interesting team to watch that maybe people aren't really focused on right now. I'll tell you what, Randy, and that's from Randy Workman. Randy, I actually was texting with Pierre the other day about a Capitals player that I, I think I could see moved, and that's uh, Anthony Manta. Now, I know everything hasn't gone as well as he or the teams he's played for would like, but he's a free agent. You don't have to take on that much of a cap hit left. You know, he's done after this year with his contract. Could he be a good middle six size guy for somebody in the playoffs? We know that that size helps more. I don't know. I don't know what he has left in the tank. I don't know where he is mentally right now in his game. He's played a little better as of late, but that's maybe a guy I'd keep an eye on as far as the Capitals go. The guy I'd want from there is Nick Dowd. Oh, we know that. Yep. Nick Dowd is the man for sure. Yeah, what about in defense for them? Is there anybody uh, I, there that attracts There's one. Obviously, they're not trading John Carlson. Of course. Um, who's But you know who's done a real good job there since he came over from Detroit is Nick Jensen. He's been a really solid, reliable player for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you go into a playoff push and need a mobile guy that can play both sides, um, isn't shy, has a lot of experience, he would be a good fit for your team. That's a really good question by you. But if you ask me again, the most underrated name, and I told you this, what, two weeks ago, well, Jimmy? Yeah. It, it's Nick Dowd. I, it's I, interesting. I, up here. Now, now, have you noticed ever since you brought it up and we discussed it on this show two weeks ago, go look around the NHL trade boards right now, and Nick Dowd is skyrocketed up the trade bait board. Uh, he's in the top five most places right now. wonder why. All I'll say is this. If you <laughs> think you got a chance to win – you never have enough guys like that around. You can't. You can't. And they don't fall off trees because I, I, I can tell you right now, a lot of teams are looking at junior players that haven't been drafted and college players that haven't been drafted for those for the Nick Dowd kind of players because those are the guys that are overlooked because they're not putting up massive amounts of points. And if they are putting up points, that's just a benefit. But I'm telling you that they're so hard to find because everything is point oriented. Right. So you're trying to find that guy that's selfless that says, I'll check for you, coach. I'll block a shot with my mouth for you, coach. I'll yep. take a punch in the head for you, coach. I'll do whatever you want, coach. You know, I want to be in the league. And I'm camp yep. friendly. You know, yep. so it's there's he's yeah. that guy. He's that guy. And next year, he has one year left on his deal, 1.3 million. Yep. He's a bargain. And Pierre, I think like we said it the other day, I don't know if it was earlier this week or last week, like I said to you, I think we're going to see more body for body type trades as opposed to traffic and prospects. And I think those are the type of bodies we might see moved is these valuable guys, these, these sort of just heart and soul type guys, like you're saying right now, GMs know and the more, and I know the cap's going up, but it's still going to be hard to manage GMs have finally started to realize that how valuable those guys can be in the playoffs and against the cap. Coleman, Goudreau, Barbashev. I can yep. keep going if you want. Like, oh, right. John Gord, 
Pierre Edward Belmar. Yeah. Just and those are the guys you want right now. The yep. They're hard to find. They're, they're, that's scouting. So that's the eye test. Yep. Those are that's the eye, the eye test right the there. The eye test. And you know what? I'm going to take on a little research project, Pierre. I don't know if I'll be able to do it this week, but I will before the trade deadline. I'm going to go back and look like, let's say, the last five trade deadlines and see how many player for player, NHL roster player, I'm talking, player for player trades have been made. And if there has been a rise, and we'll see if this because yeah. I, I would bet I would bet that it's getting more and more each year because of the cap. You made a great point though before. It, it's probably going to be manpower for manpower. Like it's not just going to be draft pick for player. It's not going to be prospect for player yep. because you're at a fifty contract limit and you're at cap. And obviously the cap goes up next year, but the cap's not going up this year. And mm -hmm. who knows with so many unrestricted free agents, some teams are going to want to do some shopping too. So I think you made a really good point there, Jimmy, before about that. All right. All right. We got time for about one or two more. And then oh, uh, we got time, Jimmy. Yeah. I, mean, I got, got to <laughs> You know what? Jim, uh, Monty's talking in about 15 minutes. That's oh, yeah. I got you. I got you. I got you. That, so, all right. Let's go. Uh, what do we got next? Can Ovi beat the record? I don't know. I, I told you this a while ago, and Mitch, I don't. I'm not trying to skirt the issue. When Nick Backstrom got hurt, that to me was a, it was going to be hard. Yeah, somebody I else. I think the last five games, and I know everybody's hyped up about it, but I just think it becomes a very difficult situation. Well, let's stay on the Ovi topic. Uh, can we pull it up there, Shane Oliver, with uh, something on Ovi? Could you ever see that happening? It's hard to trade, but then again, Gretz got traded. Yarmer Yager got traded. Okay. Raymond Bork got traded. Mm -hmm. Brian Leach got traded. Ronnie Francis got traded more than once. Uh, you know, could I see it happening? Anything maybe, can happen. Maybe anything can happen, but I don't know. You know, what? that's a. You know what that trade is? That trade's an ownership trade. That's not mm -hmm. management. That's an owner saying, you know what? We're going to give him a chance. Let him go. Yeah, let him go to a contender. We're going in a rebuild. Something to keep an eye on, I think, going forward for sure. Yeah. All right, next question. Fair question, by the way, Shane. That yep. was good. It's fair. But I just don't think management people make those decisions. Those are ownership. You know, if you look at the, the anatomy of the Gretzky trade, that was Pockington oh. making, telling Glenn Saylor, you got to move him because I need the money. Yeah. yeah. So Because I screwed up. <laughs> What I'm saying usually yeah. those deals are done because the owner tells the manager you got to make that deal. It's not the yeah. manager going to the owner and saying, "Oh, by the way, I'm going to trade that guy." No, 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 it's the other way around. Ooh, let, let's pick up for the last question here. Relaxation music had going back to Columbus here. I don't know if you see it there, Shane. I I, I'll, I'll read it out if we can't pull it up. So, up oh, there we go. Do you see them trading some of the defense prospects for someone like Kent Johnson from Columbus or a trade and they're picking this year's draft? Is this Montreal are we talking about? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what he meant there. Okay, so well, one of the things that Columbus has going, Kent obviously got huge offensive upside. Um, you know, you got another Michigan guy there in Wierenski. You got another Michigan guy there in Fantilli. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so I – it's hard. You got another one in Nick Blankenberg. I mean, so you, you got a lot of Michigan there. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. It's, I don't it's know. hard to 
it's a tough one there on, on that. I, I think he's talking about Montreal. He said yes, Montreal. Yep, he said yeah, yes, Montreal. I he, yeah, I thought he would have been talking about Montreal. Um, but I would say one thing. I think Kent's got upside. I do. I think he's got Inner big upside. <laughs> that's yeah, all I can say. So I wouldn't trade any of the top-end D-men in Montreal because I think that's going to be the strength of the Canadians. I know everybody – not everybody. That's gross and fair. Yeah. A lot of people are saying that they're not – liking the rebuild in Montreal. I totally respectfully disagree. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, you got to give it to – so Jacob Fowler is a key piece in goal, just yep. like Sam Monktonbow is a key piece in goal. Eventually you're trading Jake Allen. You look at the defense. You know, you got enough defense going yeah. forward where you're going to be really good. It's great. And you look up front, and let's just say you get Kirby Doc back. Let's say you get Josh Anderson back. Let's say you have 100% uh, Alex Newhook. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean, Jimmy? They're like, good right now. Yeah. Pretty soon they're going to be pretty good. I know. It's just patience. And I get it. I get the market there. God bless them. They're the most passionate market around. And I love it. I love every bit of that. But just a little patience, guys. It's coming. I'm, yeah. I'm, you, know, you know Montreal is like a second home to me, Pierre. So not that I'm a fan, but I, I do love seeing the people happy up there. And I, I think they don't maybe realize just because of how long things have been mediocre. It's, it's getting there and it's, it's maybe not going to be here next year, but it's getting there. I, I think that they're on the right track. And I think that Kent Hughes is going to do some major wheeling and dealing in the next eight months. That's what I think. 53 years ago, the largest snowstorm never hit Montreal happened. Okay, I was nine years old. All right, just telling you. Okay, the Montreal mm -hmm. Canadiens players were taking skidoos and cross-country skiing to get to the forum to practice. <laughs> I love it. And the only reason I know that is because I was delivering the Montreal Star, which was an afternoon paper. And one day, I saw the skidoo go flying right behind me in the middle <laughs> of the street, and I was like, "Whoa, what's that?" And then the next day I read the rival paper, which was the Montreal Gazette, and it's still in obviously print. And it said Canadians players cross-country skiing and taking skidoos to the rink for practice. It was unbelievable. God, you imagine that today with social media and everything? <laughs> you, might get a, you might get put in jail if you did that. Yeah. I don't know. Yep. Good oh. stuff. God bless Montreal and their passion. And listen, I, I agree with Pierre. I think things are going to go great going forward for them. All right. So let's see. We're good to go. I'm going to get over and talk to Jim Montgomery now. Please tell the coach I said hello. At some point, he will appear on the eye test. He will. He will Just for tell sure. Him that, tell him that, you know, Pembroke was a top team in the Central Junior Hockey League when he played there, but that – they weren't going to beat his University of Maine Black Bears. No chance. <laughs> I will pass uh, on. Those are the good old days, Jimmy, when I was driving all over North America trying to get oh, college yeah. hockey players. Montgomery, scum, scum. Montgomery was a tremendous, I'm telling you, he was a really good junior player. Played in Pembroke, tried like heck to get him, um, but he chose Maine, which is great. But he was, he was a really good player. Heart and soul. Heart and soul type guy. All right. Well, tomorrow we will welcome on Dave Jackson, former NHL referee and now working with ESPN. Looking forward to that. Pierre, thank you. Thank you to Shane in the production room back in Montreal. And I'm Jimmy Murphy. And this has been another edition of the Eye Test here on the Sick Podcast Network. 
And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the eye test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.